We've been in a series for the last three weeks called Hope Has a Name. Hope has a name, and it does, and that name is Jesus Christ. And we've said since the beginning of this series that one truth we have to take hold of is one truth that a lot of times we don't want to take hold of, and it's this, that everyone has dark days. Jeff laid that out for us in the first week of this series, that everyone has dark days days. There's days where we walk in disappointment and in distress and in despair. There's times we don't want to admit it, especially in a season like this. Everybody's walking around talking about peace and joy. We don't want to admit we're not feeling that, and that some days we're not. I want you to know if you walk in here this morning at this season or any season and you're experiencing a dark day, it's okay to say, uh, yeah, I'm going through a dark day. You're in the right place. Because Jesus receives us on our darkest days, and that's when he promises us peace. And Jesus receives us on our best days, and he promises us even more peace. Do you need some peace this morning? Do you need more peace than you've experienced before? I do. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And in our dark days, you know what? We've, we've looked at this passage as a basis for our series, Isaiah chapter 9. This prophecy about the child that we're all going to celebrate in a couple of days coming. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Have you experienced that more over the last few weeks? Have you experienced him as a Wonderful Counselor? who listens to you even on your darkest days, who guides you through those days, provides wisdom to you. He's a mighty God. He is willing and able to minister to you right where you are at in your dark days. And he's an everlasting father. He's a father who's humble. He's a father who's holy. He's a father we see when we just peek in that cradle and look at the Christ child. He's the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of Father God to us. That's what we've been going through the last several weeks. And this, this morning we come to Prince of Peace. He is our Prince of Peace. And here's what we need to know, that peace, we, we sang this morning that all anxiety bows at the feet of Jesus, right? We need to understand that the peace he offers us is far more than that. The peace that Jesus offers us is far more than a lack of anxiety or a lack of fear or a lack of chaos in our lives. The peace he offers is, is an abundance. See, that Hebrew word shalom, it means peace. It, it means far more than a lack of anxiety or fear. It means completeness wholeness. This is how it's been defined. Nothing missing, nothing broken. I don't care how good of a day you've had so far. Can you imagine that in your life? (laughs) Look around and I'll bet you find something in your life that's missing, something that's broken. But the peace that Jesus offers us is shalom peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. I need more of that this morning. So we're going to start finding that peace, talking about a most unusual thing, we're going to talk about the government. Is that, a, is that a place to look for peace? You know, you hear messages sometimes about love, and they say, we need to redefine love for you. We're going to be talking about love today, but just, we're starting out talking about government. We need to 
redefine that word for us, because what comes to your mind when you think of government? Chaos? Shutdown? This week, anyway? Budget? Deficit? Division? Taxes? A whole lot of unpleasant things come to mind. And so we come to Isaiah chapter 9, and it says this, and we always skip over these words because unpleasant things come to mind, but God's intention for them is not unpleasant. It says, for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's a title of rule. It's a title that belongs in a government of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Anybody come in here begging for a little more government in their lives? There's one kind of government that we do need more in our lives. See, government here this morning, forget all the baggage that's attached to that word government for us. Government simply means rule. It simply means reign. And the rule and reign that God offers us in our lives today is his rule and reign. His rule and reign is the prince of peace. It's a government that doesn't bring division, but brings wholeness. A government that doesn't bring lack, but abundance. That's what we need to hear about this morning. So we're going to start with a story about government. In Matthew chapter 2, so, so far through this series, we've talked about Joseph, and we've talked about uh, the shepherds and the angels, and Last week, Mark gave us a picture of, of Jesus in the cradle as our everlasting father. And this week, we're going to talk about Herod and the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. And it's a story of government, but don't get too scared of that yet. So starting chapter 2, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It goes like this. And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where is the Christ who was to be born? And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me that I may too go and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gold, gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill, yeah, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. And so we have a story about government. And it starts with a government in trouble. This is what we read about and, and how the chapter started. Maybe one of the biggest understatements in the Bible, it says that when the wise men came and said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? It says when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Just a little bit troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. Why all the trouble? Well, let me, let me tell you real quick about the days of King Herod. See, Rome had been in control of Israel for about 60-some years now. And when they came in, the Romans voted in a ruler that we know as Herod the Great. And he was great. He was great in a lot of ways. He was a great administrator. He was a great politician. He was great at, uh, um, at leading things. He was great. Uh, There was a famine during his rule, and he took care of that famine in brilliant ways because he was a great leader in some ways. And then there were ways he wasn't so great. There were ways that he was paranoid, and he just wanted to be in charge because he was a tyrant. And he imposed stiff taxes on all the people, and he was paranoid about others taking over his rule. And so he had a wife and two of her brothers killed because he suspected that they were conspiring against him. Right around the time of Jesus, he had 300 of his administrators killed because he thought they were plotting against him. Over the course of his life, he killed four of his own sons because he thought they were trying to take charge from him. It got so that the emperor of Rome said, you know what, it's, the emperor of Rome said this about Herod, it's safer to be his pig than it is to be his son. <laughs> Why? Because he just wanted to be in charge. And this is where the wise men are coming to. And oh, by the way, when Herod got elected into this position about 60 years ago, the Romans had a name for him. You know what they called him? They called him king of the Jews. Because that's what he was. He was king over all of Israel, according to them. And then come these foreigners, then come these wise men from far away, and they say, where is he? There's someone who's been born, the king of the Jews. How do you imagine that felt to Herod? Maybe a little troubling? (laughs) You know, the, the crazy thing about this is Herod believed. The wise men came and they said, listen, 
a ruler's been born. Herod believed. Do you know what? He even believed Jesus was the Messiah. He went to the chief priests, and he says, where is your Messiah supposed to be born? They said, Bethlehem. He said, okay. He believed Jesus was born. He believed he was the Messiah. He believed that he was a king who was going to threaten Herod. He believed. You know the only thing he didn't believe? That Jesus was born to be king over him, too. See, this is the way we've got to see Jesus as our Prince of Peace this morning first. He is our Prince of Peace who is the rightful ruler of our lives, all of us. Every single one. See, the, the Bible says, therefore God has highly exalted him who, Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Yours, mine, everybody else out there who didn't come to church this morning, everybody. That every knee should bow. That every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of who? Of all to the glory of God the Father. So here's the thing that Herod didn't realize. Jesus didn't just come as a king. Jesus came as king of him. Do we? <laughs> Do you realize that Jesus came to be king of you? See, because sometimes I don't like to admit it. Herod is this terrible man. Committed all these atrocities. He's evil. And he wanted to be in charge. And you know what? There's some days where I'm a little bit too much like him. There are some days where I just want to be in charge. How about you? I, I love the way Paul David Tripp put, puts this. Um, he talks about our children. He says, if, if you have children or around children, you know that you are in relationship with little self-anointed self-sovereigns <laughs> who think that the only authority they need in their lives is their own. <laughs> and he goes on and he talks about those, those battles over dinner time. You know those battles if you've been around kids. And he says, those battles around food, and what to get them to eat? It's not because those kids have read a book on the paleo diet or around the Daniel plan and they believe this is firmly the best way to eat. This battle isn't even about food. It's about who's in charge. The, the battle about bedtime and when they should go to bed, it's not because they read all these sleep studies and got their doctor's advice. It's not a battle about sleep. It's about a battle about who is in charge. And then... Tripp goes on to say this. Let's get even closer to home. Why do you get angry in traffic or irritated when someone disagrees with you or envious when someone gets something that you would love to have because it's not just your children that battle for kingdom authority? You do too, and I do too. You want to drive on unpopulated roads because few things are more important to you than our, your own schedule. <laughs> Guilty. You want people to agree with you because you want a kingdom filled with people who always recognize the brilliance of your thinking. <laughs> Guilty. Why do we all struggle with envy? We struggle with it because our greatest allegiance is to ourselves and our own happiness. You know what? In my flesh, guilty. My greatest allegiance is to myself and my own happiness. There is simply no denying it. Life this side of eternity is one big and unending war of kingdoms. <laughs> How you doing in the war? <laughs> if you're winning, you might be losing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because <laughs> you're not in charge and you're going to figure it out someday, right? 
Jesus is the rightful ruler of your life. See, the Magi understood this. They were from far away. We don't know how far away, hundreds of miles away probably, though. And tradition says they were kings. We don't know if that's the truth for sure, but tradition says that they were even kings themselves. They had their own rule, and yet they knew that the Prince of Peace was born and that he had authority over them. Do we? Do we know he has authority over us? See, eventually every knee is going to bow, every tongue confess. We get, just get to choose when. <laughs> we get to choose if we wait until then or do we get to do it now? So what do we, what do, we do to receive Jesus as the rightful ruler of our lives. I'm going to tell you one thing we can do. It's what the wise men did. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is what I'm going to tell you to do, to receive Jesus as the rightful ruler of your life. Rejoice that he is king over your whole life. Can you rejoice about that today? That's great. You're rejoicing. I haven't even told you why yet, so that's awesome. Because if you really get this, if you really get that Jesus is supposed to be ruler of your life, you know where you're going to feel first? You're going to feel threatened. Because I want to be in charge. I don't want anybody else to be in charge, even Jesus. How's that working out for me? Not so hot. (laughs) And yet, Jesus, we can rejoice. Why? Because Jesus' rule delivers all that we long for. Do you know why the wise men were rejoicing? Because their search was over. They are finding what they were searching for for so long. Do you know what we find in Jesus? We find everything we were searching for through control, everything we were looking for in our lives by trying to control and hold the reins so tight, Jesus gives us when we release it to him. See, because when I, you know why I want to drive on unpopulated roads? It's not just that my schedule is so important to me, That's not the end. Do you know why my schedule is so important to me? Because I'm afraid. Because I'm afraid that I'm not enough. And I'm I'm afraid if I don't get there, it's not going to get done. And some people are going to see that I'm lacking. And I'm afraid. That's why I get so frustrated when that slow driver gets in front of me. Why do I really want everybody to think I'm brilliant and like me? Because I want acceptance. I want to belong. I want a people. I want a group. Do you know Jesus gives you a people and a group? Do you know Jesus accepts you no matter what? Not because of your brilliance, but just because he does. Because he loves you. Do you know why I'm envious of other people when they get stuff? Because I start to think I need it for life to feel good. Because I want security in my life. That's why I get envious of other people. Do you know what Jesus gives us as our Prince of Peace? He gives us security. All we have ever needed doesn't mean all the circumstances take care of themselves. doesn't mean everything looks perfect. He gives us what we need in the midst of every dark day. His is the one and only government that's all-sufficient, that provides absolutely everything we have ever needed, and it just keeps getting better. See, we think, we hear this, that, that Jesus uh, uh, is a his rule, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself here, I'm speaking too quick, um, that Jesus, his rule and his reign is something that happens in our lives, and we think we're going to get to a point where his rule, yep, he rules all of my life, and that's it, and I'm finished, 
and we think about peace, and we think we're going to get to a place where nothing is missing, nothing is broken, I'm complete, and then we're going to be done. Do you know that's not what Isaiah says? Isaiah says of the increase, listen to this, of the increase of his rule and his peace, there shall be no end. So imagine your done state. Imagine when nothing is missing and nothing is broken in your life, and you can say, I am done. Do you know what? God has more. It just keeps getting better. There will never come a time in relationship with God that we say, well, this is as good as it gets. Why? Because the rule, uh, the increase of his rule keeps on going and going and going and going and going. The increase of his peace keeps on going and going and going and going. And you know what happens then? It floods out into all areas of our life. Doesn't mean all the circumstances get fixed, but it floods out into all areas of our life, like our relationships, like our relationships. You know, Jesus, as our Prince of Peace, he came down to tear down walls between us and each other. So let's look at these chief priests and scribes, right? Herod goes to him and says, where is your Messiah to be born? And they tell him, but they don't go. The Messiah, listen, the Messiah that they have hoped and longed for for 400 years and more is five miles away, and they don't go. Why? I, I think because Scripture doesn't really tell us, so this is, this is me. This is me, not Scripture, right? But I think one of the reasons that they didn't go because these guys coming and saying the, the king of the Jews has been born, you know, you know what they were? They were Gentiles. They weren't even Jewish. It's no wonder the chief priests didn't go. They're the chosen people of God. If the Messiah comes, who's God's going to tell? God's going to tell us. But they had this wall up between themselves and everybody else, between themselves and all those Gentiles. We're God's chosen people. Everybody else, you're outside. In fact, Herod's temple, you know what Herod's temple had in it? A wall. And the Gentiles, everybody could come this close to the temple, but then after that, only the Jews could go further. There was a wall that was put up. And do you know what? That wall wasn't God's idea. That was Herod's temple. That wasn't God's design for the temple. We need, but, but listen, Jesus came to tear down all those walls between us. That's why Paul goes to this. Uh, sorry, I'm going too fast. Paul goes down to, to this in Ephesians 2. He says, for he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about that wall between Jews and Gentiles. Jesus Christ, in his flesh, he broke it down. There's no more division in God's people. So that he might reconcile us all to God. What walls need to be broken down in your life between you and others? between you and others. See, for us, it's not so much race anymore, right? For them, it was Jews versus Gentiles. Most of us in here are probably Gentiles. That's not really a big issue, and yet there's other things that come between us and other people. There's resentments, and there's judgments, and there's, frankly, I just want to be in charge. <laughs> How many times do we let that build a wall between us and other people. And Jesus came to tear all that down. Listen, are you participating with him in that? Or are you fighting against that? I, I, love, I love the way my wife parents. <laughs> because then uh, I get to partner with her in it, and then when she, like, 
when she is this excellent mom and teaches our kids this truth, I just get to capitalize on it and come right beside her and say, yeah, yeah, what she said. And, and, and so there was this, years ago, um, you know, the kids, they, they bicker, as kids do. Um, and, and when they were fighting a few years ago, when they were fighting around e- each other, she told him the story of Jesus, that Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority of the, over them. And then Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, not so with you. He says, it's supposed to be different with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, because so many times we bicker among each other, just like our kids, right? (laughs) And it's because I want to be in charge, actually. Because I just want to lord it over everybody else, and I want everybody to fall in line with my expectations and my, my, what I want and my desires. And Jesus comes to them and says, not so with you. And so Rach tells this story to the kids, and now they know it so well, that's all we have to say to them. We just have to say to them, not so with you. When they're bickering and fighting over a toy, listen, not so with you. When they're upset because their brother or sister is getting all the attention, uh, we can just say to them, not so with you. Listen, somebody in here needs to hear this in your life right now. (laughs) Because there's some people, if nowhere else, maybe that you're going to get together with in a couple days at Christmas dinner, right? And you've got some walls up there. And they aren't walls that God put up because God came to tear all those walls down between you and somebody else. But there might be walls of resentment or bitterness or hurt from the past, or wounds? Are you contributing to tearing down the walls? Or are you holding those resentments in place? Listen, not so with you. In our wall out there in the lobby, there's a peacemaker's pledge, right? It's a commitment that, that leadership has made here, that the staff has made here, that we call the body occasionally to, to, to recommit to here. And You know what it says? It says, as people reconciled to God, we believe that we're called to respond to conflict in a radically different way than the world. Did you hear it? Not so with you. So where in your life do you need to hear that this morning? Have you been trying to take charge over others and it just ends up building walls? You need to participate with Jesus and say, not so with me. I'm going to help tear those walls down. And it's not just between us and others, it's between us and God. You see, there was that wall in the temple, but you go further in the temple, and what is there? There's that big, thick curtain. There's a huge, thick curtain that nobody can get beyond. Even the priests can't go beyond it, except one priest once a year, into the very near presence of God. The very near presence. And and this curtain was so impossibly thick that it could never be torn. There was a separation between us and God so impossibly thick that it could never be torn apart, and yet God tore it down. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, tore that separation down. And do you know what we have now? We have unhindered access to God. This was God's plan from the beginning. That was his plan for Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden. In the heat of the day, walking together, side by side, 
unhindered access and relationship to God. Do you know we have that now? Do you know if you are in Jesus Christ, you have that now? See, for so long in my life, I didn't understand this. Like, I, I prayed a prayer where that wall came down when I was like six years old. I asked Jesus to be both my Lord and my Savior. I committed my life to him. And I believe at that point, that, that curtain was torn. And I was in relationship with him, and nothing could tear me out of his hand, right? And yet, there was a way I wasn't walking that out practically. There was a way I wasn't living that out day to day, unhindered presence with God. You know, so I would um, get on my knees, and I'd pray, God, I just pray for your will in this area of my life. I ask for your will, Lord. And then I would get up, and then I would go do what I was planning on doing all along anyway. And I, I didn't know that, that God's unhindered, that unhindered access meant a relationship of fullness and freeness. Listen, moment to moment, not one time in our lives. Not one time in our lives, but moment to moment. There's a, something we have here, that, a document we call presence-based leadership, but it's really presence-based living. But this is, do you want to know a picture of what unhindered access looks like to God? Listen to this. Imagine if we could live like this, practicing sensitivity and submission to the presence and direction of Jesus. Moment by moment, abiding in the strength, peace, wisdom, life, and love of his person, surrendering all discernments, surrendering all conversations, all attitudes, all plans, all actions, all reputation and authority to Christ's authority and purpose. That's the kind of unhindered access we have now to God. If you are in Jesus Christ, his spirit lives within you now. Jesus said, my father and I will come and make, make our home in you. Are you walking out that unhindered access? This past week at, at work, when something was frustrated or something didn't go, you, are you walking in that unhindered access? Saying, Lord, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you right now. This is what we have access to. It's that understanding that I can kneel even when I'm not kneeling. That even after I've gotten up on my knees, my spirit, my soul can be bowed at the feet of Jesus all throughout my day. Are you surrendered like that to our Prince of Peace? None of us can do it perfectly, but God has more for us to walk in as we do. And let me just say the final way that we need to recognize Jesus is our Prince of Peace is that he uses all things for his purposes. He uses all things for his purposes. Did you see that in this story? As we read through, how many times did you hear, but this happened that the prophecy might be fulfilled. God fulfilling his word, using all things for his purposes. Even Herod in his evilness, and this happened that the prophecy might be fulfilled. God using all things. The wise men believe this. That's why when they, they approached Jesus, they, they came to Jerusalem and they allowed themselves to be used by God to say, 
guess what? The king of the Jews is here. doesn't matter that we're from far off. God can use us. The king of the Jews is here. And then they went and they worshiped Jesus' feet and then they offered him gold and frankincense and more. They offered him all that they had because they believed that God could use all things to his purposes. Do you know this in your life? That God can use all things to his purposes. God can use anybody to his purposes. God can use anything to his purposes. You look at the Bible, God used a fish to his purposes, right? To take Jonah from one way and send him in the other direction. God uses all things. You know, God used a donkey in the Bible to speak to somebody. There was a fellow named Balaam, and he was heading a certain way, and there was an angel got in his path that he couldn't see, and the donkey stopped. And Balaam beat the donkey, and the donkey stopped again, and the Balaam beat the donkey. And God finally opened the mouth of the donkey and used the donkey to speak to Balaam and say, what are you doing? Rich Mullins talks about a professor he had that told that story, and then he would say, God spoke to Balaam through his donkey, and God's been speaking through donkeys ever since. <laughs> the professor used the other word, and I, but I won't. I know, it's Christmas, I could go King James and justify it, but I'm not going to. God can use anything, and God spoke to Balaam through his donkey, and has been speaking through donkeys ever since. And then the professor said to them, so if you meet somebody, and upon meeting them, immediately recognize them for what they are. Don't discount what they're saying, because God spoke to Balaam through his donkey, and he's been speaking through donkeys ever since. And if God should choose to speak through you, do not think too highly of yourself. Because God spoke to Balaam through his donkey, and he's been speaking through donkeys ever since. <laughs> God can use anything to his purposes. Do you believe that? Do you know how much peace comes here when we really believe that? When we really believe that in our dark days, do you believe that for your dark day right now? This day was a dark day in the town of Jerusalem, and yet God used it for his purposes. Do you believe that God can use your dark day right now, whatever it is, whatever you're walking through, for his purposes? He can, and he will. And you might not see it today, and you might not see it tomorrow, but maybe on the other side of glory, you just might see how he can use this dark day for his purposes. And maybe your day is so dark you just can't see it. Well, let me tell you about a darker day. Let me prove it to you. God can use any dark day for his purposes because he used the darkest day and the darkest thing ever for his purposes. In the 6th century B.C., centuries before Christ, the Assyrians came up with a new way to kill somebody. See, for years, governments had taken thieves and criminals and hung them on a cursed tree until they were dead. But then the Assyrians, they, they figured out that if you crucified somebody on a tree, that was far more powerful. Because then you're not just killing somebody, you're making a statement to the rest of the community. All the people walk by and they see that person hanging there and you know what it tells them? It tells them who's in charge. And it tells them not to go against this. They knew the graphic sight of a crucifixion inflicted fear 
and horror in everybody else. And that was far more useful than just killing someone because crucifixion wasn't about killing somebody. It was about who's in charge. Cicero lived in the, in the Roman Empire, and by then, it was the time of Jesus, by then, as the Roman Empire came to full fledged, they perfected the crucifixion and made it more horrible than ever before. And he said this about the crucifixion. He said it's the most cruel and disgusting penalty. The very word cross should be far removed, not only from each Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. The very mention of a cross is repugnant. There was nothing more horrible and darker than a cross. So who could possibly take that? Take the darkness and horror of that and use it for their purposes? Only one could, our God. And that's why when I talk about a cross this morning, you didn't shudder. That's why when I talk about a cross this morning, you didn't recoil in horror. That's why you didn't get up offended and walk out of here because cross is no longer a term of offense. Cross is now a glorious term. Cross is a glory that we get to celebrate this morning. And so we're going to take communion this morning. Because a cross is not something we shudder from anymore. A cross is now something we celebrate. Because our God used this, even this, for his glory and for our good. Should prove to us beyond a shadow of a doubt, he can use anything. Ushers, you can come ahead forward. He can use anything in our lives because he used even this. To take us who were far off, and us who were near and bring us in relationship with him. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Can you rejoice in this this morning. Let's pray, and we're going to pass this out, and we're going to rejoice together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of you. In this time of gifts, we thank you for the perfect gift that was yourself. And as horrible as a cross was, even more horrible than, than that is to think that you, our creator, came down as one of us, lived a life of difficulty and rejection and died on one of those crosses. But because you did, Lord, we celebrate your work. And because we can celebrate that work, we can celebrate your work even now in our lives. We ask, Lord, that as we receive your peace today, as we receive these elements, that you would allow us to awaken afresh to all that it means to us. In your name, amen. As the cups are being passed, I remind you to take both cups.
The one on top has the wine, and the one underneath has the bread. And I want to use just a moment here and provide you the piece of a gift. The gift of a quiet moment before our God. And as you experience his presence this morning, there may be ways that you walked in here that you were in anxiety and you need to lay that anxiety before the feet of our keeper of peace. I want you to use that moment before we take communion to do that. And if you realize that there are walls that you've allowed to be put up between yourself and others of resentment, of bitterness, of things that God came to tear down in us, and that you've allowed to remain in place, I just encourage you to bring that before God in this moment. And ask that he might give you the courage and the strength to partner with him in tearing down those walls between yourself and others. And if you feel like there's a wall between you and him, I need you to just sit with this truth that this cross tore down every wall. That impossible curtain, that impossible separation was torn down between you and God. Take that to him in prayer for a moment and then we'll come back together and take communion. Jesus sat with his disciples and he took up bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. It will be horribly broken, disfigured beyond all recognition in the worst way possible and it's done for you. Let's take this bread this morning with an awareness of all that Christ did for us. same way Jesus took the cup 
And he lifted it up and he said, this is the wine, the new covenant. This is the wine of my blood, which is poured out as a ransom for many. Jesus poured his blood out for you to bring you peace with our God. Let us drink with an awareness of what this means. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as our peace, as our Prince of Peace, you came down to bring us back, to bring us back into relationship with a God that we had rebelled against, a God that we had left behind, but a God who hadn't left us. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you are that God, that you came down to restore us into your family. God, I thank you for the peace that you give us, a peace that you promise that is beyond all understanding, that it doesn't just stop with a relationship with you, but it overflows into our, all our relationships, that it overflows into every area of our lives, that the more we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, the more we experience your peace and wholeness that you provide. God, let us be aware of that truth this morning and let us walk out changed by it. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Grace, would you stand with me? God can use anything to his purposes, and that includes each one of us. So the last thing it says about the Magi is it says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country and returned home a different way. Because of the truth of who our Prince of Peace is, do you know that this morning you can return home a different way? that God would use us as ministers of his very peace to the world around us. Let us stand and worship together and go out today a different way.